Welcome to the Charter School Growth Fund Podcast. I'm Alex Hernandez, and I bet you by the end of this pod, you will be inspired by school lunches. Yeah, I said it, and I'm going to double down. You will see school lunch as a huge opportunity for innovation, an opportunity to shift your entire community to better health. We are so lucky to have Irma Munoz, Chief Operating Officer of Idea Public Schools, to talk about Idea's Healthy Kids Here initiative. Irma is one of my favorite leaders in education, so even if I lose my school lunch bet, you will be thrilled to have spent some time with her. Idea serves about 35,000 students across 61 schools in Texas. 95% of Idea students are Latino, and most are low-income. The organization was born in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas and is recognized as one of the best public school systems in America. Here's my colleague John Schwartz doing a fireside chat with Irma at a charter school growth fund event in McAllen, Texas. When I talk about Healthy Kids Here, people are like, oh, that's so nice. Well, for us, Healthy Kids Here is not a nice thing to do. It really is integral to our mission. In South Texas, we have the largest population of children that are overweight and obese. And that's not a coincidence. We also have the largest per capita rate of fast food chains and restaurants throughout the United States. At least five fast food restaurants per 10,000 people. That's huge. And if you drive through the corridors of South Texas, you will see that most of the restaurants are McDonald's and Taco Bell. We know that these meals are heavy with sodium, and study after study has proven that they increase the food consumption of kids. Fast food companies spend more than $700 million a year specifically targeting African-American and Latino children. In Texas alone, our kids consume 99% more fast food advertising than in regions throughout the United States that are non-minority. It is no wonder that South Texas has the highest incidence of diabetes in the nation. We have one of the highest incidences of heart disease. And unfortunately, our student population mirrors those characteristics. You asked the why for healthy yeah. kids here. That's part of the why, but I also wanna share why this is so personal to IDEA. Uh, a few years back, we had a student get into university. I'm gonna call her Maria, because she would be mortified if I used her real name. She went off to college excited, first-generation college student. During her first year, she was diagnosed with diabetes. She didn't know what it was, she didn't know how to manage it, and she didn't have access to proper health care. By her second year in college, she was already feeling the side effects of the disease. She started having problems with her eyesight. Before the end of that year, she came back home. She has still to graduate from college. It's been devastating for her and devastating for her family. I know that getting kids to and through college is more than academics. It's also about providing them the social skills to survive. And if we want them to fulfill their potential, they need to be able to do so and they need to be healthy. Uh, so that's why Healthy Kids Here exists, that idea. So now we've got a good picture on the why. Let's talk a little bit about the what. What's, okay. what's the scope of it and how long has this been an initiative? Yes, we launched in 2014 and there's three things that we're specifically doing. The first one is increasing nutritional standards for the meals that we serve in our cafeterias. Every day, our child nutrition program serves about 56,000 meals. Because we are 89% low income, two thirds of the meals that our kids get, they get from us. 
So we knew we needed to focus on the nutritional content of those meals. Second, we need to get our kids moving. Just having a good diet without a healthy, active lifestyle is not going to do the trick. So that's the second component. And the last component is around education. Student education, staff education, parent education. Because that is ultimately what is going to build the habits that are going to be long-lasting, that are really going to make an impact. All right, I need a quick show of hands from the audience. If your network is running their own farms, just raise your hand. That's <laughs> funny, I'm not, I thought I'd see more hands. No, I'm kidding. That's pretty unique. Yeah. Tell us about these farms. Okay, so I really love my farms. We live in South Texas, and we are part of a largely farm worker community. So when IDEA started, the farms just kind of grew organically as part of our program model. But we did reach a crossroads a few years back. The farms were not being kept. They were expensive, and they weren't really integrated into our academic program. Eventually, they just started to fade away. We put the question to our school leaders, and we asked, do you want to have a farm at your school? And if so, are you willing to invest in it? And to our surprise, well, I shouldn't be surprised, 70% of school leaders actively advocated for a farm. In fact, they filled out a grant application. They said that they would put in money from their discretionary funds. We ended up going through a selection process and revived um, the three farms at IDEA that originally were in existence. In the Valley, we have a farm at IDEA Frontier, who you saw yesterday at College Signing Day, at IDEA Donna, and at IDEA Quest. This year, we launched our first farm in San Antonio. We also have community gardens throughout the schools. I think we're up to 16. Our goal is to have one working farm in every single region we launch through 2022. We produce about 70,000 pounds of fruits and vegetables, everything ranging from cucumbers, tomatoes, kale. Our farm program and our child nutrition program coordinate on the menu so that whatever we grow in our farms goes straight into our cafeterias. So you've made a very compelling case for the Healthy Kids Initiative here, but I am also a finance and operations professional, so two words come to mind, expensive and complex. Let's talk about the finances. A lot of people think of the Valley as under-resourced. I think we're lucky in many ways for it because it forces us to be innovative, uh, to fend for ourselves. And the Child Nutrition Program is one of those instances where we've been able to innovate out of need. There's no entity that we could have outsourced our food program to. So we had to build it within our schools over time. And it's been rough. It's been a really tough journey. There was a point in time where we were in the red. Our funding was about to be revoked because we were not compliant. But we knew then that, one, we could not have a child nutrition program that was a drain on IDEA as an organization, and two, that this is a business. And like any business, you can turn it around, and we did. The red turned into green, the green turned into a $100,000 fund balance, into 500, into a million. And then we hired Areli Benavides, who's standing back there. She's the VP of Auxiliary Services her team have completely transformed our child nutrition program. Last year, we generated $4.1 million through our child nutrition program. That money is going to pay for our farm program, for cafeterias and our expansion schools, for furniture, for lunch monitors, and for the innovation that we have with our menu. 
So let's talk about the operational complexity for a second. I know from my days as an operator, like simply getting all of your families to fill out a free and reduced lunch form can sometimes feel like an overwhelming challenge uh, for operators. So I'd love to hear some examples of what was operationally challenging. I think it's the same answer as what we would say on the instructional side. It's all about people. We have incredible leaders uh, responsible for each of our cafeterias in each of our campuses. These are non-degreed leaders that take such pride and ownership in their work. They manage teams of up to 20 at a large-scale campus, and they adore our kids. Mm -hmm. So they know that each one of them is running a small business. They work the hell out of the model. They help us innovate. Our lunch period right now is 30 minutes, and we serve um, 360 kids. The average time across the lunch line is 10 minutes, so the last kid of the line um, has about 20 minutes to eat. Another thing that I will say is our training and development program has really strengthened over the years. So mm -hmm. we've been able to systematize our approach and replicate it with excellence, not just because we have people that have been doing it for so long and serve as a proof point, but also we've been intentional about building that knowledge infrastructure so that we can do more. So you've cleared my finance and operations hurdles. So okay. let's talk about what matters most, okay. which is the impact on kids. Yes. Um, and culture and academic results. So this year, these are our obesity and overweight rates by region. As you can tell, IDEA as a whole has about 40% of our student population that is considered overweight and obese. Some schools go over the 50% mark. It really is a challenge. Like any new initiative, had to invest in changing behaviors. Mm -hmm. This is owned by operations, but like anything, it needs the investment of every adult in the building. And it's been slow and steady, and we're finally making inroads. You see, we've been able to achieve a 2% drop in our BMI, which is currently the best measure we have to track success. And uh, we've done so by proactively building an education campaign and convincing people that it's not just about the food in the cafeterias, but it's the food outside mm -hmm. of the cafeteria that is still at our schools that is impacting our kids. All those Cheetos with, you know, cheese and chile, pizza parties, candy bar bake sales, all of those need to go away because we are unintentionally sending a message to our kids that it's okay. The education that we're providing is not gonna sink in if we're not being consistent throughout. The other thing that we are doing right now, which I am incredibly excited about, is we are reimagining the dining experience that we're going to offer for our kids. So if you go to our older school, well, you were admission, so that has the old caffeinasium model. We have a box that serves both as the cafeteria and the gym. This year, for the first time, the 10 schools we're opening in August are going to have a separate cafeteria and a separate gym. And the reason we're doing that is because we want to intentionally create a space that builds social character, that builds social skills and healthy habits, and allow kids to interact more as families. So we are going to try family-style dining. Our long bench tables are gonna turn into round tables. Our long lunch lines are gonna turn into 
self-serving meals, and uh, we are going to promote conversation. Now, this is a huge change. We're piloting in six campuses next year. It involves a change in our master schedule, convincing of a ton of people that this could really be transformative, but we need to do it. We need to do more. The BMI statistics are very impressive. Do you either have anything sort of quantitatively or qualitatively or anecdotally that sort of ties that back to how kids are showing up in the classroom? We have not done any study set ideas specifically, but we have a lot of data um, mm -hmm. from research that has been done by Cornell University from Stanford University that really points to a strong tie between healthy eating and mm -hmm. academic performance, particularly among elementary school kids and particularly on, in young girls. If you build healthy habits, if kids are getting a good breakfast, are getting intermittent you know, bursts of activity, over time their performance academically will improve. So let's talk about the students for a second. So I have a soon-to-be eight-year-old and a soon-to-be five-year-old in addition to a 10-week-old. Um, dinner is a nightly battle. Yes. Like, and my kids in Minnesota are not getting bombarded with the kind of advertising about fast food that sounds like your kids are getting bombarded with down here. I can't get my own kids sometimes to eat the way that I want them to. So what have you done to change the hearts and minds of your students so that they're actually eating? So that's been the hardest battle to fight because we still need to run a business, yep. right? And if we're serving like kale, no matter how pretty you make it, and kids are not eating it, I'm not going to no <laughs> yes, have a reimbursable meal. This is where the education comes in. This is probably the area where we have the most growth to do because this is not just about educating staff and students. It's also about educating parents because if you get the most complaints about parents, about kids that go home and say, I didn't eat because the food was horrible. I don't even know what hummus is. Um, you know, I, th that is so weird. And the pizza tastes like cardboard. It doesn't have cheese. It's a battle. It's a battle. And one of the things I'm just incredibly proud of is that our cafeteria staff is taking this so personally, and I wish I would have invited um, some of them to participate today, I'm regretting yeah. it, because they are actively working the lunch line. They talk to our kids, applaud when they serve vegetables, dress up the food so that it becomes more appealing to the eye. Little things like having whole fruit versus cut up fruit makes a huge difference. Kids will likely take a fruit that it's cut up more than a whole fruit. But guess what? That's also more work. And because we have such an invested team, they're going the extra mile to not just serve a compliant meal, but to make sure that our kids are eating it. We still need to strike a balance. I mean, this is by no means easy, nor have we gotten it right, nor are we doing a good job yet. But I'm so encouraged about the direction we're headed. How are your teachers either reinforcing this in terms of what the kids see them eating at lunch, or are they sort of part of the challenge too? You know, it varies. Yeah. It varies. I mean, I'm certainly not the picture of health either. I think it starts with all of us. We need to make an intentional left turn to embrace what setting an example means for our kids. We have schools that are models of what could be. Mm -hmm. Idea San Juan, who you also saw yesterday at College Signing Day, they've adopted staff CrossFit. They have CrossFit for the kids, 
for their parents and for the staff. And now it becomes part of the culture at the school and everybody is on a health kick and it really is making a difference. We are seeing it also in Runberg where one of our health aides has really taken the baton to launch this education campaign. She's done cooking classes, she's done workshops for parents, and all of that, however minimal it is, over time, it's beginning to change mindset, which is what we need. Let's talk public policy for a second, because the National School Lunch Program is, I'm guessing, not the most flexible public policy to work within. Do you have any learnings on the public policy bent here? Well, we're trying to make them flexible, and we're trying really, really hard. I think sometimes we self-impose barriers that just don't exist. And if there is a law that is preventing us from doing something, we're like, okay, well, we can't do it. And we don't even try to push the boundaries. We learned a few years ago this was not going to work if we were not pushing the boundaries. Yes, we generated over $4.1 million in fund balance. Guess what? All of those funds are restricted. We can't just go and spend them willy-nilly. So we've had to work with state regulators, with TDA, to convince them, yes, Paying for our farm program is integral to our child nutrition program, that paying for lunch monitors is integral to our lunch program. And we are pushing the boundaries Mm -hmm. a little too much sometimes, but it's necessary because that is how change happens. And if we want change, we need to push and push and push and not stop pushing. Let's talk about another set of constituents that need to be changed. When we talked before, you told me that the same food suppliers you were using before, the same food suppliers you're using now, which when many people in the room are dealing with the Sodexos and the Aramarks of the world, these folks, in my experience, do things the way they do them. How have you influenced uh, your vendors and suppliers to, to change in support of the initiative? It's been a process, but this is where scale really matters. Mm -hmm. We are now not a mom and pop shop. You know, we have cafeterias throughout the state. So we have leverage and we have negotiating power that we didn't have in the past. And I'm proud to say that they are meeting our needs to a large extent, not completely. But for the second year in a row, we got the Perfect Peach Award for the state which means that IDEA is serving the highest rate of organic and locally grown fruits and vegetables in our cafeterias in the state of Texas. We can't do it just with our farms because we're only producing 7,000 pounds of fruits and vegetables. So we've had to really get creative at the negotiating table and advocate not just for good pricing, but for delivery of products that they've traditionally haven't had to deliver to schools. You just said that you were opening 10 schools next year, yes. like without batting an eye. So that's not... Because we're pretending. It's in the inside. That's, in not, the inside. Where, that's not where everybody is. So, <laughs> so if you're a, a smaller network, where would you start? Two things that I'll say. The first one is start with a very clear vision of what you want your child nutrition program to be, whether you want it integrated into the academic curriculum. Do you want to create a space that transforms the lives of children and families? Or do you want it to just be a transactional you know, process? And that's okay too, uh, but you have to have a vision up front. And secondly, get the finances, get the operations right, because that is what's going to enable to be innovative and to push the envelope. If you're not worried about putting out fires because 
you're about to go in the red or your milk is expired or the people are just standing there without actively engaging the kids, then the sky's the limit. And yes, scale helps us, mm -hmm. but we have independent cafeterias that are generating their own fund balance that could implement on their own a Healthy Kids Here program. So it is possible. I don't want to see the limit of scale as an impediment. Yeah, advice on the RFP process and sort of upping your standards that you put in the RFP. We tried the outsourcing route and it was a disaster. Operationally, financially, from a quality perspective. This year, we did a nutritional scorecard. We evaluated the nutritional content of our meals and we are right up there. In fact, more often than not, we are serving healthier meals. Happy to share the scorecard with you and make them prove to you why their menu is good for kids. And don't let them off the hook. Make them also push the boundaries. I want to thank Idema for sharing the story of Healthy Kids Here. And I hope you're inspired by what's possible in your cafeterias and school communities. Idema is a personal hero of mine, and she has an incredible story which you can read about in her June 2017 interview at the74million.org. Okay, I need to bring this love fest to a close. Hasta luego, good people.